a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. Coming up on the program. Chinese President Xi Jinping holds talks with leaders of different nations at the APEC meetings in San Francisco in the U.S. state of California. President Xi Jinping calls for unity to achieve better Asia-Pacific cooperation at the APEC CEO summit. And we head to the Guangzhou Auto Show, where car makers are gearing up to showcase the latest trends in China's auto market. Chinese President Xi Jinping has held talks with leaders of several nations on the sidelines of the APEC meetings. When meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, President Xi said this year marks the 45th anniversary of the Treaty of Peace and Friendship between China and Japan. Take a look. President Xi Jinping called on China and Japan to focus on common interests, properly handle differences, and build a relationship that meets the requirements of the new era. President Xi also met with Brunei's Sultan Haji Hassanal Bolkiah. He said the two countries have achieved fruitful results in practical cooperation in various fields, and the two sides have maintained good coordination in international and regional affairs, making positive contributions to regional peace, stability, development, and prosperity. In his meeting with his Mexican counterpart Andres Manuel López Obrador, President Xi called for expanding cooperation in finance, electric vehicles, and other emerging industries, while deepening cooperation in traditional areas such as infrastructure construction. While meeting with his Peruvian counterpart Dina Boluarte, President Xi called for fostering new growth engines for cooperation in digital economy and green development. And in his meeting with Fijian Prime Minister Sitaveni Rambuka, President Xi said China always supports Fiji in its development path chosen by its people, and will continue to promote the development of the China-Fiji Comprehensive Strategic Partnership and bring more benefits to the two peoples. And Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for unity to achieve better Asia-Pacific cooperation at the APEC CEO summit. In his written speech, President Xi said, "Openness and inclusiveness are defining features of Asia-Pacific cooperation." He said the region's development has been achieved not through provoking antagonism and confrontation. He also said development for all is the overarching goal of Asia-Pacific cooperation, and that seeking common ground while shelving differences is the best practice. President Xi said development is only possible with cooperation. And decoupling and supply chain disruptions are not in anyone's interests. He also said the APEC Putrajaya vision lays out its vision for an Asia-Pacific community by the year 2040. The Chinese president said China remains the most powerful engine of global growth and will generate one third of global growth this year. President Xi also added that China remains committed to pursuing development with its doors open and will advance high standard opening up and further expand. Market access. Well, on Wednesday, China and the United States released a joint statement known as the Sunnyland Statement on enhancing cooperation to address the climate crisis. Li Zhengguo, president of solar panel giant Longji, expressed his belief that the statement will play a crucial role in promoting the global transition towards green energy. He also emphasized the importance of continuing efforts to reduce the costs of photovoltaic power generation. 
particularly to benefit less developed economies in the Asia-Pacific. Take a look. China and the U.S. just agreed to restart their dialogues for bilateral energy policies and strategies. What are your expectations? In the past few years, China and the U.S. have maintained a close communication in energy cooperation to address climate change. And both sides have strong consensus and made great progress in this area. So we also noticed that in recent days, they agreed that they will triple the original global photovoltaic power generation machines installed capacity by 2030. We are pleased to say this because everyone is very urgent and actively facing this issue. For example, 10 years ago, the conversion efficiency of photovoltaic power generation was 13 to 14 percent. Today, the conversion efficiency of photovoltaic power generation has reached levels of 24 to 25 percent. We hope that by the next decade, we can turn the conversion efficiency of photovoltaics into over 30 percent. This will provide better technical support for energy transformation. We know that APEC economies have been invested heavily in renewable energy. How is Longi planning to work with them to achieve those sustainable development goals, especially in those emerging or developing markets? We need to make the conversion efficiency of photovoltaic power generation higher and the costs lower. So for some other countries, especially underdeveloped ones, we will first provide them with an acceptable new energy products depending on sunlight. In the past, during the process of energy development, many felt that there was an impossible triangle involved, which was energy security, sustainability, and affordability. Affordability actually involves issues related to energy equity. Solar energy as a product is safe and sustainable, which used to be too expensive. Through years of hard work, we should try to make it even cheaper, which would involve turning the impossible triangle into a possible one. Now, during the meetings between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden, the two leaders spoke about cooperation when it comes to artificial intelligence. CGTN spoke to MasterCard and PwC's AI leaders for more insights. I do think we need global standards and global interoperability and probably some sort of global framework around how we should think about the risks and opportunities presented by AI. And that needs cooperation. That needs absolutely cooperation. And, and the two countries uh, that, are, that are the biggest economies in the world, i.e. U.S. and China, should play a leading role in this. China in the, in the East it is also the biggest economy in driving AI development too. It is such a big ecosystem, a big economy to serve, and therefore there will be so many of the multinational companies, overseas companies, they would like to tap on the China market. Well, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, and the Comprehensive Economic Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership are two crucial agreements supporting free trade and economic growth in the Asia-Pacific region and beyond. Our Jiayi has more. The RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, in fact, since June 2nd, includes 10 ASEAN countries and 15 signatories like Australia, China, and New Zealand. Covering about 30% of the world's population, GDP, and trade, it boosts China's imports from RCEP members and stimulates global economic growth. RCEP member countries account for 35% of China's imports. The RCEP establishes an institutional arrangement for countries to open markets and reduce tariffs. 
fostering unified economic and trade rules. The sixth China International Import Expo, held after the RCEP's implementation, provided more opportunities for companies to serve local customers and expand their business in China. It also strengthened cooperation in bilateral trade, green development, and the digital economy. Another important agreement for free trade in the Asia-Pacific region is the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, active since December 2018. It represents a population of 498 million and a combined GDP accounting for 13% of the global economy. China's interest in joining the CPTPP as the world's second-largest economy with a growing middle-income group could quadruple the agreement's global benefits. China's inclusion is crucial for regional economic integration, stability, security, and the efficiency of the Asia-Pacific industrial supply chain. Wang Jiayi, CGTN. And the 12th APEC Small and Medium Enterprises Technology Conference has been held in the Chinese port city of Qingdao. Over 1,600 companies from APEC economies took part, all in search of new opportunities. Our Sun Ye reports. At the opening ceremony, Vice Minister of Industry and Information Technology Xu Xiaolan said China would continue to open up and improve its business environment, and that it would help and support local SMEs entering international markets. Xu described SMEs as the backbone of economic vibrancy for China and the Asia Pacific region. And for SMEs in the region, growth opportunities could come from a range of new, smart, and green sectors. One of the ones we're giving a special attention is the electromobility. You know, everything that goes in electromobility that goes from cars, electric cars, hybrid cars, and all the, uh, the the suppliers that come with them. We want to make Mexico the next China hub in the Americas in order to supply. The American markets. Most of the companies in Ecuador are either small or, or medium-sized enterprises. So there's a lot of interest in in improving, especially technology-wise. We know Chinese China is a leader in technology development, and we need to incorporate some of the newest technologies in our productive systems, both in manufacturing but also in agriculture. And as this business matchmaker from Pakistan told us, there's a growing need and will for SMEs from different countries to engage with one another. Our、uh, 2030 goal is like、uh, expanding、uh, matchmaking business between China and Pakistan、uh, three times. Like we have already done 1,500. Uh, matchmaking companies between China and Pakistan, and by 2030, we wanted to、uh, make it to 7,500 companies.、Uh, This local Qingdao company is showcasing its powerful automatic drilling robot at the fair. It's hoped that this device will also find use far from home. APEC economies, including Russia, Indonesia, Mexico, and the West, that produce oil, could all use the robots. Since its first edition in 1996, this SME fair has worked to build a platform for businesses from APEC members to display and trade new technologies and exchange new ideas. And now, in its 12th edition, the fair has continued to promote win-win cooperation. Sun Ye, CCTN, Qingdao. So, small and medium-sized companies form the backbone of a country's economy. For more on today's APEC meetings and the organization's support for the development of SMEs in the region, I want to bring in our Miro Liu in Singapore. Hi there, Miro. So, what more can you tell us on this front? Hi, Michael. Now, by now, you heard a lot from the APEC summit. 
the face-to-face meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden on the sidelines of the APEC summit this week dominated global headlines, which experts believe is the most critical outcome from San Francisco. Now, with the U.S.-China on a sounder footing, Asia-Pacific as a whole will be able to do more things together. On the background, APEC as a region represents nearly 40% of the world's population, almost half of global trade, and over 60% of the global economy. Now, the APEC started on the foundation of facilitating trade and investment. But as we entered the era of globalization 2.0, digitalization and innovation, sustainable and balanced growth have also become its vision. Now you talk about this the small and medium enterprises that goes into the third pillar, which is inclusive and balanced growth. This week, uh, gather, this week the gathering will actually conclude on the 17th U.S. time with the leaders' summit, of which Asia Pacific state heads will establish strategic agenda and regional goals for the next year. Earlier this week on the trade front, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai hosted their foreign and trade counterparts for the APEC ministerial meeting. Now, these ministers vowed to create a fair, open, and inclusive trade and investment environment for the Asia-Pacific region, highlighting specifically on their commitment to improve opportunities for micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises to tap into the global value chain. Now, we have the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Rebecca Sita Maria, the executive director of the APEC Secretariat here in Singapore, before she headed off for San Francisco earlier this month. She said similar things. She said that globalization should not be dismissed so easily. We've all benefited from it. It's populist to put the blame on globalization. Instead, governments have a role to play when it comes to structural reforms taking advantage of global supply chain value chains and bringing these small and medium enterprises and ensure a sustainable and inclusive growth. And this week, all these key highlights and agendas we've been here for a lot for this week in San Francisco, Michael. All right. Many thanks for that report. Our Miro Liu live for us in Singapore. Thank you, Miro. And for more on China's message at the APEC Economic Leaders Meeting and the APEC CEO Summit, I want to bring in Hao Hong, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. Hao, thanks for joining us. So a quick recap. Openness, inclusiveness, a focus on development and seeking common ground while shelving differences. Those were some of the key messages from President Xi Jinping's written speech to the APEC CEO Summit. What were your main uh, key takeaways from this written speech in terms of China's vision for Asia-Pacific cooperation? Yes, thank uh, thank you, Michael, for having me. Uh, It's great to be here. And I think this is a consistent message that China is sending out to the world. Uh, In a sense that um, China has been uh, insisting on uh, opening its economy and also its market uh, to the uh, to the rest of the world, and you know as you can see over over the past decade, uh, China economy has been growing, and together you know China's export has been you know one of the pillars of growth, uh, and and also for the uh, uh, for the supply of demand for the rest of the world. Uh, so I think you know right now you know after three years of uh, a pandemic, you know China uh, is ready. Uh, to uh, sort of uh, reconnect with the rest of the world, and also, you know, in the past couple, uh, in the past year, uh, we have done, you know, tremendous work, you know, trying to reconnect, uh, and also, you know, that leading to uh, this summit uh, at the APEC. So I think um, uh, many of us, you know, the market participants are very excited to see, like, you know, if nowadays you travel in China, 
uh, you see increasingly more foreign investors and visitors coming. And also China's uh, visa application uh, and also the uh, custom control has uh, become uh, more easygoing, you know, more convenient uh, uh, for the uh, foreign travelers to come. Uh, so that's that's why you know you, you think increasing traffic and also immediately uh, China is probably going to increase the number of flights uh, from China to the U.S. So I think all of these are pointing to uh, towards a more open, uh, a more uh, sharing uh, economy for the rest of the world. So you know we we can't wait you know to see uh, even more uh, foreign investors coming. Uh, to, uh, to to China to invest. And how I want to talk about trade because China is, of course, part of the world's largest free trade agreement, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, RCEP for short. Uh, President Xi said the country is also working to align itself with the high standard economic and trade rules of two other regional FTAs, namely the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, so the CPTPP, as well as the Digital Economy Partnership Agreement, or DIPA. So uh, what's your take on China's overall commitment to high standard opening up and to further expand market access? Uh, yes, um, I think um, especially during the years of pandemic, you know, China has proven itself to be, you know, the, the major uh, global supply center and manufacturing center. And I think, you know, because of China's endeavor, uh, you know, the, the rest of the world actually get to, you know, have plenty of supply, you know, during the, uh, the years of pandemic. And so I think now, you know, this uh, initiative uh, has been going around for a few years. And I think China, you know, being one of the leaders uh, of this uh, new uh, trade initiative, you know, has been trying hard to include many of the trading partners uh, uh, to come uh, and become a, a bigger free trade, a free trade zone. Uh, so, you know, as you can see, if you look at the uh, competition of Chinese exports these days, uh, over half actually uh, is going to uh, Southeast and uh, Southeast Asian countries and Asian countries, and, and and the share of these countries uh, as uh, as part of China's import is actually larger uh, than the U.S. import uh, these days. Uh, so it it inc increasingly showing us that the importance uh, of this region uh, to China and also to the rest of the world. So I think you know uh, uh, you know at this uh, summit uh, everything is going well. And I think, um, you know, everybody is uh, trying to work together again. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, an expansion and more inclusion uh, into the uh, into this biggest uh, free trade zone. Yeah. And how at APEC, President Xi spoke about China's commitment to green development, adding that sustainable development is absolutely crucial to solving current global problems. So what does China's massive green transition, you think, mean for businesses and consumers all around the world? Um, yes, I, I, the, um, the green initiative has been around for probably almost a decade now. Uh, you know, if one uh, has lived in China long enough, you, you would notice a huge dramatic difference uh, in the air quality, for example, uh, and also you know, the number of uh, forest afforestation uh, that is increasing uh, in China. Uh, so I think you know the uh, initiative is still ongoing. Uh, China is on target uh, to become uh, to become a zero emission country uh, in in less than ten years, uh, and also you know China being still one of the, the largest uh, greenhouse uh, producer in the world, you know, because you have 1.4 billion people living here. Uh, it is trying very hard to reduce uh, greenhouse gas and to improve uh, global climate. And I think the U.S. has a very strong initiative uh, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas and also, uh, you know, solve the global climate problem. But I think, you know, China with 1.4 billion people and also, you know, still with a 
rather substantial greenhouse emission, uh, you know, would be um, a very integral part uh, of this initiative. All right, we're going to leave it there. How many thanks for your thoughts as always? How Hong Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. Well, the Guangzhou Auto Show kicks off today and will run for the entire week, showcasing the latest developments in China's auto market. This year, the International Fair highlights new energy vehicles, or NEVs, from domestic automakers like BYD continuing to surge. Recent data reveals that NEV sales in China touched an all-time high in October, reaching almost a million units and constituting more than one-third of total passenger car sales. The data provided by the China Passenger Car Association indicate a significant year-on-year -year growth rate in total car sales, surpassing the 9.5% increase witnessed back in September. For more on China's EV market, I want to bring in Liu Zhiqin, a senior fellow at Renmin University's Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies. Mr. Liu, welcome to the program. So, look, China already has the largest electric vehicle market in the world. Does it still have even more room to grow, you think? Yes, that's true. The China EV market is not become the largest in the world, but there's no reason to be proud of, and especially not no reason to stop innovation or further expansion of this market. Because of, I think we have two reasons that to have more rooms to further develop our EV market. First, I think we are not only satisfied in the numbers of products, but also in quality and in models and also in the innovation. Because of the quality and high innovation of this EV market can attract more investors and more buyers in the world. So this is very important for all the market players. Actually, all this quality and diversity of new products that should be merged in the market that could attract more buyers and especially the potentials of the market is still needed to be more effort to expand actually for those developing countries there are still big rooms and big space that to have more investment to put more efforts in this market so i think we should be a happy field to have the largest market, but no reason to be proud of. Okay, and Mr. Liu, China's EV production and sales both are strong. What's next then, you think, for Chinese EV makers in terms of further raising their global competitiveness? That's a very good question because we know that the EV market is changing a lot every day. So there's new models and new tendencies and new investment in the market. And all the market players, especially in the Western countries, they are trying their best to come into the market. So in this way, I think three points should be emphasized. First, all these cars should be more permanent. That means with the new models, not only for the comfortable and also only the lower price, but also to humanize it is the, the priority of the new product. And uh, secondly, we should pay attention to have more uh, EV cars or EV market uh, energy saving and energy efficiency. That means with the smaller battery or smaller supply of the electricity with the longer driving hours or the longer driving distances. This is the uh, possibility for more buyers and investment. So we have to do this by only only one way, that is more investment and more innovation. So I, I believe that the China's market and the car players can have more efforts and more uh, best performance to promoting its cars in the, the modern time. All right, Mr. Liu, many thanks for your thoughts on all of this. Mr. Liu Zhuqin, senior fellow at the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies. Thank you, as always. Well, the audit industry is embracing technology and digital skills to drive innovation on a global scale. 
Recently, we sat down with James Chalmers, PwC Global Assurance Leader, to discuss the emerging trends that are shaping the future of the auto industry. And during the conversation, he also shared insights from PwC's latest global investor survey, providing insights on the current landscape of the industry. Let's talk about first about the global audit industry. What do you think are the main trends in the industry? And more importantly, uh, could you give us like a glimpse into the future as of uh, how new technologies, for instance, generative AI, uh, can be you know, applied in this industry? There are several trends in the audit industry. I think the first one I'd say is the audit underpins trust in the capital markets, and I think that trend will continue. It's been there for 170 years. I think it'll continue. So that's the first really important point to make. The second thing is you're quite right. There are some changing demands. So investors and wider society are looking for information beyond financial information to understand performance around sustainability, to understand companies' exposures to technology risk. And they're looking for trust in an audit provider to provide assurance over that. And the third big trend is technology. The opportunities that data and technology give us to change the way we deliver our audit is really, really exciting. So those are the three main trends. Um, we are investing heavily in our future audit. Our audit business is about $15 billion a year, our revenues, and we're investing a billion dollars in what we call our next generation audit platform. So. In our investment, we're looking to leverage the power of data because obviously there's a huge amount of data companies have that we can bring in to our audit platform. And then we can use AI and other technologies to bring anomalies to identify potential errors in the data in a way we've never been able to, to do before, to automate tasks that previously have been relatively clerical. But with all of that, we can deliver more value and insight to our clients on their own business. We also look out for PwC's um, Global Investor Survey annually. Um, so the latest one just came out. Tell us more about it. What does the survey tell us about, especially China's investment environment? The first thing that came out of the survey is investors still think the economy, economic performance, economic risk is the number one issue that they're interested in. But actually, if you go one layer below that, they see technology as the next biggest driver of value for companies. And particularly, they see 85% see AI as a massive opportunity for, for companies. But against that, with AI, they see risks around data privacy. They see risks around government. So it's opportunity and risk. And then the final thing on sustainability, particularly climate, they want to understand how climate fits with the company's strategy, the long-term strategy of the company. But they're quite skeptical of some of the data that they're receiving. 94% of investors think some of the information they're getting is not supportable. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.